0: Good morning again everyone and, uh, and wonderful to see you and, an, and, a, and a blessing and a privilege always to bring the Word of God to you as you could tell by the, um, uh, the the Bible reading this morning we 're back in the book of Romans um, and it 's a wonderful joy, especially this portion of the book of Romans from chapters twelve uh, to fifteen. What we find within these three chapters are the basic fundamental way of life and living for those who know Christ. Three chapters. It takes you 15 minutes, no more than 15 minutes to read it. Three simple chapters, 15 minutes long in total. And if you were to consider every single verse that's within each one of those chapters, you would find the complete ingredients of living a successful Christian life. I'm not exaggerating. We see it in a particular order also, it's an interesting order. We see it going from a more simple recommendation or recommendation or regulation or a command to a little bit more complex. Chapter 12 could be considered 101, Christian living. Chapter 13, 201, Christian living. Chapter 14, 301, Christian living, right up until heart, the midpoint of the 15th chapter where Paul begins his his farewell and his benediction which completes in the 16th chapter of the book of Romans. We've got one verse that we're looking at this morning and it's there in verse 18 and it's simply, if it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a blessing, dear Lord, to be able to come before your throne and to open the word of the living God to expound the wonderful truths that are found within these beautiful scriptures. And I ask and pray, dear Lord, that you would be with me this morning as I bring to light that which is always plainly before our face. That I bring out, dear Lord, that which is so evident right before us. And I ask you, dear Father, you would be with me as I preach, but also be with my brethren and those who would hear the word of the living God that it would sink down, dear Lord, into their ears and it will bring itself to their understanding, that they may see the joy that's found within this text and the instruction that's given us. I ask and pray, dear Lord, for your hand upon us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. This verse that we're addressing this morning speaks essentially of every effort to be made personally to be at peace with all people relationships and broken relationships really are the single cause of the greatest levels of grief among people all over the world and it doesn't matter whether you're in you know the first world country or in a second world country or the third actually I didn't even know that there is a second world they always just talk about first and third um, anyway maybe Victoria's second <laughs> uh, but you know it's, it's, a, it's an affliction that happens right across the world. And the greatest cause of grief is not a lack of material possession, it's relationships. It's relationships. I said to my wife this morning, I said they could take everything from me and I would be fine. But if they took you from me, I would be broken. And it's just so true. It's relationships that make all the difference. It gives us joy and broken relationships take away our joy. They increase a lack of peace and grief within our lives. So you can understand that this is a vitally important doctrine to understand. God sent his son, the Prince of Peace, to reconcile a fallen world to God, to make peace with God. God's desire is peace between people His word is the only place where the method of our peace can be properly understood. The devil doesn't desire that at all. The devil desires broken relationships. He is the master at creating division and therefore bring misery to the world. And we see his work being done within the world today pretty evidently. Now, while we state that But broken relationship is the greatest cause of grief. We can also say the reverse of that is also true. And that is relationships that are joined together by love and by peace and by fellowship is also one of the greatest positions of joy. We have joy. We have wonderful joy coming together. Um, Sundays are the highlight of my week without a question they're a difficult day to prepare for because I've got a lot of work. I, I've mentioned to Brother Shane yesterday, you know, I said I, I failed English twice and I didn't do year 12 at school because I knew that if I, failed year, if I failed English a third time in year 12, I'd have to repeat the year and there's no way now I'm going to spend another year in school. So, um, so I decided not to do year 12 and I just finished at year 11, right? But never in my wildest dreams did I think that I'd be writing a 5,000-word sermon every single week you know. There is an incredible joy in doing this work all for the sake of a wonderful fellowship that we can come together every Sunday. It's not work, it's not work, it's a it's a privilege and a joy and separating ourselves from this fellowship we'd already seen what it was like. We saw what it was like for no less than about five months last year. I went through our newsletters that we had, and, and it was really interesting because when I was looking at the newsletters for the month of April, there were only two. Then I didn't have then I had a newsletter in June, and then nothing until November. And that means that we didn't get together until from June till November. And I don't know about you, but I desperately, desperately missed that fellowship, that time that we would spend together enjoying the wonderful peace that we had one with another the sermons are one thing but they are nothing when it, without the church coming together in fellowship the two work together so wonderfully and perfectly we come together on a regular basis and when we do so we are the happiest of people romans twelve eighteen, and if it be possible as much as life in you live peaceably with all men Four items that we're going to be having a look at is is our norm. The first is the practicality of the command. The practicality of the command, if it be possible, if it be possible, as much as life in you live peaceably with all men. In this, the Lord does not charge Christians to undertake that which is impossible, but only that which which is possible, yet there seems to be a limit imposed and it's found there in the first four words if it be possible that's our limitation that's our extent that's our boundary if you will the bounds of the instruction to live peaceably with all men is limited only to the possibility of it especially in as much as it depends upon you in as much as it depends upon you if it be possible, if it is possible then, if it is impossible then, then we're free from this obligation. Does that make sense? It's only if it's possible. If it's possible, live in peace with all men. If it's impossible, then it's impossible. You're free from that obligation. We'll talk about that. We are to consider this as one of the most fundamental things that we are to pursue after. we Every part of our ability has to work to pertain to this end. And when we do so, when we know the benefit to it in our own lives, then we should really give this the fullest of our attention. We should see that to live in peace is health to your body. It is, it is gladness to your eyes and to your spirit. And it brings sleep to your eyes. It's a wonderful blessing. And when there is a lack of peace, sleep just seems to vanish away from you. You find yourself not being able to think or, or anything other than this, 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 this grief and this turmoil that you're having with other people, that lack of peace. And, and I, like you, have had my fair share of it. Hebrews twelve fourteen says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. In this text, it tells us to follow peace with all men in that we see an active pursuit of it. We are to follow peace. This is an active pursuit, and it's vitally important, so much so that without which no man shall see the Lord. Those who have made peace with God should be the first to know how it is to follow peace with all men. We should be the first to know what this is like. Our desire for peace at all costs is contained within this as an eternal weight of glory. We rejoice in following after peace with men because this is God's pursuit of us was to pursue peace with him. And what we're doing is exactly the same to our fellow man as God did with us. He pursued us to have peace with us because up until then, there was a break in that relationship. There was no peace between God and man. But now that there is, we are now to follow that on and to make sure that we are pursuing peace with people as much as it is possible there is the practicality of the command it's related directly to its possibility and while we know that all things can be possible we also find ourselves often challenged by the flesh to sometimes limit the extent of that possibility you know we, we the times when we don't want to live peaceably with people um, so we're forced into this idea of impossibility. What do I mean by that? Well, it's impossible to live in peace with that person after they did this and this. Let me just then give you two examples of things that do not constitute impossibility, all right? So these two things are not what is found in that bound of, of possibility. Remember, if it's possible, be at peace with all men. So it's, if it's impossible, then you're free from that obligation. But there's often a couple of ideas that we have in our minds that make us think that it's impossible. And these two are ones that often come up more than anything else. The first one is that it is not impossible to live peaceably. It is not impossible to live peaceably with those who have wronged you. It is not impossible to live peaceably with those who have wronged you. This doesn't provide an excuse for the passage. It's not impossible to live in peace with those who have wronged us. If Jesus gave the command to love our enemies, it's not impossible to live in peace with those who have wronged us. If Jesus himself desired the forgiveness of the sins of those individuals while he was on the cross and they were casting lots at the foot of the cross, then it's not impossible to live in peace with those who have wronged you. He is our example. He is our example. It is possible to forgive those who have wronged you. And Jesus is both our testimony and our example. I want you to think of all the wrong that you had done to the Lord before you were saved. Yet he willingly died for you. Think of all the wrong that you've done to the Lord since you've been saved. And is he not faithful and just to forgive us our sins? That's <laughs> it's one that gets me every single time. You know? um, we wronged the Lord before we were saved and yet he died for us. We've believed in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and we've wronged him so often since we've been saved and yet he is still faithful and just to forgive us our sins isn 't this our example? He desires to live peace in peace with us, and he provides all the means necessary to be able to secure that that peace between us and him and that 's our example with regards to living with others and He did so by forgiving those who have trespassed against him, and we are therefore to forgive those who trespassed against us and we 'll talk a little bit more about one of the ways of being able to apply these things in the last point. The second example of that which is often thought impossible but is false is it is not impossible to genuinely desire to live peaceably with all men. (laughs) What do I mean by that? There are those who say that they're happy to live peaceably with all men and yet secretly, secretly, they would feel all the better if their enemies met with some form of misfortune. They'd be more than secretly pleased, and they might even garnish a smile if those who had wronged them suffered the same manner in which they had been afflicted themselves. I don't know how many of this church would confess to having smiled at our Premier's recent mishap. It's terrible. Beloved, in all sincerity, this actually does betray a heart that is, mo- in, a, in a really evident manner as telling you with certainty that, that you're not living with the right heart before the Lord. You know um, It's actually evil to desire your enemy to fall. It's actually evil to be secretly pleased at their calamity. It's, it's not something that we, to be honest, should be laughing about. It's not something that we should be pleased with ourselves with. It is in Scripture clearly presented as sinful. It betrays a heart that is not aware of the lot of this individual or these individuals and what they're going to go through. Job understood this to be true in Job 31, 28. He said, This also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge, for I should have denied the God that is above he says, if I rejoiced at the destruction of him that hated me or lifted up myself when evil found him, neither have I suffered my mouth to sin by wishing a curse to his soul. And this isn't unique. Turn your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Book of Proverbs, middle of your Bible and turn right. After the book of Psalms and before Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Proverbs 24, read two verses there, verses 17 and 18. Job, traditionally recognised as the oldest book in the Bible, Job recognised something that the King Solomon also identified and, and had seen. Proverbs 24, verses 17 to 18. States simply that part that form of wisdom rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth, lest the Lord see it and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. Do you get that? that? That has consequences of its own, doesn't it? Consider it. Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Let the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. You're going to be pleased with the fall of an individual. You're going, to, you're going to sneer at it and be pleased with that, and yet the Lord would see it and would displease him, and he might turn away his wrath from him and exalt him all the more, lift him up all the more. Be very, very careful, beloved. Be very careful. That's plain in the text. Turn back to chapter 17 of Proverbs chapter 17 and have a look at verse 5, Proverbs 17 and verse 5 simply says, Whoso mocketh the poor reproacheth his maker and he that is glad at calamities shall not be unpunished, he that is glad at calamities shall not be unpunished. This is one of the beautiful examples that we have in in the scriptures with, with King David. He said, speaking of his own enemies, and he said, But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned unto mine own bosom. I have behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. In Psalm 35 verses 13 to 14, all these passages are in your your, um, sermon outline notes. We see the state of the heart that it should be. We should not be considering it impossible to genuinely have concerns for those who would otherwise be at war with us, to genuinely desire peace, to genuinely care for them, to genuinely have a burden for them. There'll be a time indeed when we are going to rejoice at the fall of the wicked. There is going to be a time when that's going to happen. There's going to be a time when there will come the vengeance of a righteous God who is going to be pouring out his wrath upon the wicked without measure. And the Bible makes clear, gives some clarity there as well. It's speaking about our joy in this event there will be a joy there will be a time where we will be pleased at the destruction of the wicked that will come according to scripture but that time's not yet that time's not yet that time is a time that while the church remains on earth the time that we're living in now while the church remains on earth we are to have a burden for the enemy We are to love them and we are to pursue peace with them in as much as is our ability to do, as much as is possible. And to show genuine sorrow and burden for the trouble that the enemy has now or those who would war against us has now is not impossible. It's not impossible, especially when you know their end. I had a burden for our Premier because I know his end. I know that if there is no repentance in that man's heart, he will be damned for all eternity. And anyone who is aware of that would have a burden for any enemy, regardless of who they are. Trust in the Lord. Learn to have a burden for those that you hate. And then we've got to ask ourselves the question, then where where, where is it limited then? Where is it limited then, Pastor Eddie? Well, peace is only limited where it is not determined by you. That's the next point. The particularity of the command. The particularity of the command. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. The endeavour is limited by its particularity. In other words, as much as lieth as in you. You are the particular individual who has the ability to be able to live in peace with all people, if it be possible, we've all already recognized that there is a very, very—that's a pretty broad. It's it's most likely possible for everybody to live in peace with everybody else. You are the one here charged to live peaceably, and it's the practical limitation of the matter. We are to live and endeavor to live peaceably with all men to the utmost of our power, as much as lies in us. Personally, we both seek. And maintain peace. Now, this doesn't, mean, this doesn't mean that you can stop other people from hating you. And it does not mean that you can stop them from warring against you. And it does not mean that you can stop them from their disagreement with you or any of those things. But it does mean that you can stop hating them. And it does mean that you can stop warring with them. And it does mean that while they rage against you, you can be at perfect peace with them, that you can deal with them mildly, that you can deal with them with integrity, that you can be indeed gentle as doves when it comes to your dealings with them. It doesn't mean that you have to fight fire with fire in those instances. You have the ability as much as life in you particularly to be able to quench these fires and there's so many other passages in the in the bible i can think of a number of proverbs that bring out about how 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 soothing words can actually quench the fire of a of a of of the mouth you know that would war against you there are ways of being able to do so the lord speaks about not fighting evil with evil but fighting evil with good one of the things that we fail to recognize with regards to these who would hate you and continue to war against you, is that you have the permission to let that fight be one-sided. You have the permission to be able to let that fight be one-sided. The wicked dig a pit and they themselves fall into it, the Bible says. So you don't need to fight with them. I think of, I think of Jehoshaphat, that king of ancient Israel, who goes to war and the Lord says to him, Come to the law, come to the battle, come to the battle, he says, come to the war, but you will not need to fight. I will fight. Let the Lord be the one that fights these battles. Let the Lord be the one that does the work. In the meantime, do your work, do your diligence, do the blessings that you can provide. You are the one that determines the peace in which you are willing to live. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. One of the most beautiful epistles of Paul, one that we're reading at the moment in our Bible studies. and so dense and filled with just incredible, incredible passages. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 to 32. Paul writes here to the Ephesian church. And in this verse 31 he says let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another tender hearted forgiving one another even as god for christ's sake hath forgiven you In colossians 3 verses 12 to 15 it says put on therefore as the elect of god holy and beloved bowels of mercies kindness humbleness of mind meekness long suffering forbearing one another and forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel against any even as christ forgave you so also do ye and above all these things put on charity which is a, which is the bond of perfectness and let the peace of god rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body and be ye thankful. This is no doubt speaking about the love between brethren. This is the forgiveness between brethren. But this can also easily be extrapolated out to, you know, those who would consider themselves enemies of ours. We are to live peaceably with them as much as lies within us. We are to treat them with humility. We are to be humble in that. And there's something in that that is really important that you need to consider because when we esteem others higher than ourselves, that's what the Bible tells us that we are to do. We are to esteem others higher than ourselves. There is a degree of humility hinted within that, that we have to be willing to forego certain, I don't know, what we would think of as rights. And this is one of the key things that you need to think about. There's two. Both of them are going to require condescension on your part. Both of them are going to require you to condescend, to lower yourself, if your desire is to live peaceably with all people. The first one is a willingness to forego what you perceive of as your rights. In other words, to forego your own private interests, whatever they are, for the sake of peace. This is the extent of that which is possible. This is the extent of possibility. Let me explain. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And have a look how the Apostle deals with this particular instant, with this particular matter. He finds something fascinating as as he speaks to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll read the first seven verses. Now, I want you to note something particularly with regards to this as we're reading this. Okay? This is a really important passage in the Bible with respect to how we are to deal with one another with respect, with respect to um, the legalities of our dealings one with another. It is particular to a local assembly. It is particular to a church, and I'll explain that to you a little bit more in a minute. Have a look what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life... Set them to judge who are the least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother and that before the unbelievers. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? I want you to take note of something important before we move on with this. The focus, my focus is on the last verse alone. But there's an implication in this passage that you need to be thinking of lest you move in a direction that is contrary to the scriptures. This is disputing between brethren first and foremost. And this is also disputing between brethren within the local assembly. They have to be within the same local assembly really really important why is that important because unless they are part of the same local assembly they cannot be held to account does that make sense they must be held to account within that local assembly there's more that we could talk about with regards to this passage but it's that last verse now therefore there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another why do you not rather take wrong why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded. Why do you insist on your rights rather than suffer the temporal loss of that which the Lord will repay in eternity? We think that we have rights within this world and the only rights that we have, beloved, are the temporal rights that the Lord provides for us. But all of those temporal rights can be taken away in a moment. Job speaks to that, doesn't he? He says, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away blessed is the name of the Lord, you know. But the other thing that the Lord speaks of vengeance, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And that's the very next verse in our, in our studies with respect to this. There has to be a willing forbearance of temporal rights for the sake of pursuing peace. There have to be a lowering of ourselves, a willingness to be defrauded. That's hard, isn't it? That's hard when you think about it. You think I have earned this and this and this individual is going to be taking it away from me. But for the sake of peace, that's within the realms of possibility, is it not? That's within the realms of possibility and who is it charged to repay? It is the Lord's charge to repay. I don't pretend to say that this is easy, beloved. We're living now in the 21st century and for the last 50 years the greatest plague that has plagued where our Western civilization has been divorce. It is by far the greatest of all plagues. Now, To make a claim here that I'm making and that I believe the Scriptures are making, that, I'm, that, I, that I believe with all earnestness is part of that possibility... The willingness to forego certain rights, especially rights to your own children, is something that, don't tell me that that's easy and that's not easy. My wife works in family law and she's been working in that, in that industry now for the best part of 25 years, you know. So we see it all the time. It's really interesting, we were actually talking about it the other day. Uh, her boss has been married for 43 years, we're coming up to 30 years and the other secretary is 29 years. Between the three of them, there's a collective over one century of marriage, and they deal only in family law. (laughs) It's incredible. But this willingness to forego those rights, as hurtful and as difficult as they are, they are done in the pursuit of peace. They are temporary. And it's the Lord's charge to bring about a good end. There's wisdom that has to be done before that. I'm not saying that there's not wisdom. There's things that need to be considered, okay? Because there is a love for the children, obviously, there, and the children need to know that you love them. But for the sake of pursuing peace, if that is a cost, then pay the price. And let the Lord bring about a good end when the time comes. It's trusting in Him to bring about that, to be able to live in peace with all people. Paul Exhorts and reminds the brethren to live practically that which Jesus himself had already taught his disciples. In Matthew 5, 39 to 42, he says, But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You know this passage. And if any man will sue thee at the Lord and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile... Go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Beloved, the reality is that any true right that we have in this world that is granted by the Lord can temporarily be removed. But nothing, and nothing can take away the hope that you have in the Lord. Nothing can take away that salvation that you have looked forward to. Nothing can take away that inheritance. Nothing can take away your trust in the Lord other than you. The Lord's word will be true and will always remain true irrespective of the temporal destruction or difficulty that we're going to be going through from time to time. And we are going to be going through difficult times. So that's the first one. The first one is be willing to forego what you perceive as your rights. The second, and it's not necessarily any easier, the second is you have the choice not to be offended. You have the choice not to be offended. Proverbs nineteen eleven says, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. I want you to notice something. This is a complete, perfect opposition that we see in the world today. But it is his glory to pass over a transgression. This godless world finds offense in almost everything. And it's always worth noting that everything that is in the mainstream of the population finds that the population finds acceptable today is the exact opposite to how the, the things that are pleasing to the Lord. We do not have to be offended. We do not have to be offended. Beloved, this is really important. It's important for two reasons. Because for the sake of peace, you can choose not to be offended. You can choose to let those things go. We used to use that phrase, let it go through to the keeper. Don't worry about it. You know, it's a cricket phrase. Okay, just let it go through to the keeper. Don't worry about it. They'll bowl those balls at you. You can choose to let them go through. But you don't have to go swinging wildly back. Your pursuit of peace can be indeed achieved if you are willing to not take offence. You don't have to take offence. You don't have to take offence. Proverb twelve sixteen says, A fool's wrath is presently known. A fool's wrath is presently known. But a prudent man covereth shame. 2 Samuel sixteen eleven to 12 says, Let him alone and let him curse. Remember, remember King, King David being cursed as he's coming out because of what's happening with his son Absalom. And there's a man who's throwing stones at him and cursing him. Thou bloody man, come out, come out, thou bloody man. And his beloved brethren and soldiers that are around him wanted to take him and take his head from his shoulders because they're cursing the king. And the king says, let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction, and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. One of the things that you have to be willing to take is offence. You have to be willing to take offence. Whether the individuals believe it or not is irrelevant. Whether they mean it or not is irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant. It doesn't matter how passionately they want to offend you. You do not have to accept it nor take it. You can completely overlook it and disregard it. Today, people are taking offence at things that weren't even intended to be offensive. I mean, imagine these same individuals. Imagine them in World War II. Someone's got a gun wanting to kill you. You're offended at a little word here or there. Isn't that a little bit more serious? You can choose not to be offended and in choosing not to be offended, to pursue peace, you can have peace. You can have peace. I've often said that what other people think of you is none of your business. If you live your life in that regard, you're neither exalted nor defamed by them. You don't have to be concerned about what other people think of you. These are one of the wonderful things that we have. Matthew Five, eleven, to 12, Jesus said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Beloved, this can apply against your enemies. It applies for you. You do not need to take offence. You do not need to take offence. So those two keys alone, those two keys alone will set you up to be able to pursue peace with all men because it lieth in you. It's up to you. That's your choice. Number one, your willingness to, um, to, to, to think little of your temporary rights and number two, choosing not to be offended. Choosing not to be offended. If you consider just those couple, then our portion in the text makes sense. If it be possible as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. The third point is the universality of the command to live peaceably with all men. If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Notice the universality of the command. It is to all men. and Yes, it is yes, to all women too. But the feminists among you, however, feel free to just take it as it reads. Live peaceably with all men. Not only those who love you, but also those who hate you. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. One simple verse that the Lord Jesus has here, and it's a beautiful verse, and it means so much. And it makes perfect sense. Matthew chapter 5, verse 46. Jesus says, for if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? How, how, how difficult is it to love somebody who loves you? Is it hard to do? Then where, why should there be a reward for that if that just seems to be so natural for us? If it's so easy for us to love those that love us, then there's, there's no, there's no big, that's not a big deal. That's pretty easy to do, but 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 think now about loving those who hate you. And that's what the Lord's speaking about here. The Lord's speaking about loving all men. Is it possible to be at peace with all men, to the sinner as much as to the sinless, to the wicked man as much as those who are even brethren in the Lord? In this passage, there's no room to discriminate between persons. It is as much as to the one as it is to the other. You are to live in peace with all men. What about those who don't agree with you? What about those who don't agree and have the same opinion as you? What about those? Can you live in peace with them? Oh, beloved, there's people in this church who have opinions that uh, I don't agree with. And there are people in this church who see my opinions and they don't agree with my opinions. Does that mean we can't live in peace one with another? Well, see, the world is actually moving to actually believe that that's the case. The world is moving in a direction that unless you share the exact specific opinions that they have, they are at war with you. Now, I want you to consider this logically. If we are all to have the same opinions on every single matter, whether it's a biblical matter, whether it's a matter of something else, whether it's a matter of personal preference, and I've told you before, vanilla is the best flavoured ice cream, right? It's not subjective. That is not subjective. It is an objective opinion. I've obviously been sarcastic. I would say it's not, not objective. That's subjective, right? But if we are all, if peace is contingent upon all of us sharing the same opinion, this world is set to be at war completely at war we can never have peace with anybody if if my peace towards you is contingent based on you agreeing with everything that I say and that's the only way we can have peace well then we can't have peace because the reality is you won't share exactly the same opinions that I have does that make sense it is not based on sharing the same opinions or agreeing one with another Okay, But the world is actually, and the ecumenical movement that's happening within the church is doing exactly the same thing today. They are uniting on error. We are not to unite on error. And these are the things that we find really difficult to comprehend. On the one hand, we have within the scriptures the command that we are to forbear one another, forgiving one another, Colossians 3.13. We are to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We read that before in Ephesians 31 and 32. So we are not here limited to love and to be at peace only with those who share the same opinions with us or who agree with us in all things. We are in every way commanded to be at peace with all people, even those who don't share the same opinions. Remember that Jesus Christ didn't dine with the righteous, did he? He dined with the publicans and the sinners. Nor did he call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. in Mark 9.13. 9, what we can't do is we can't also say that we will only be at peace with those who are willing to be at peace with us. Then we deny the scripture itself. It's a completely ridiculous idea because what we're saying is we're not going to be obeying the ordinances of God until they obey the ordinances of God. Well, that doesn't stand, does it? It doesn't stand. If they obey the Lord, then we'll obey the Lord. If they're friendly with us, we'll be friendly with them. If they're good to us, we'll be good to them. You know, If they love us, we'll love them. Well, what reward have you? Don't the publicans do the same? Don't the sinners do the same? We're not called that way, beloved. We're called to love those who are unlovable. We are called to give that which has been freely given to us. We, are, we freely give because we freely receive and we have peace with God and therefore we are free to live peaceably with all men and women. We are free to live peaceably. It's your choice and it is universal. Does this mean we need to be in agreement with all men? Clearly that can't be the case. It's interesting because the scripture also brings something out and this is where we've got to be able to recognise these things. The Bible speaks about having no fellowship with sin. It says about not living a life that is contradictory um, but it speaks about living in peace with all people. It doesn't mean you need to have fellowship with them. It doesn't, mean that you need, it doesn't mean that you have to eat with them and dine with them and entertain them and enjoy their company. Yeah. On, the, on the contrary to that, that's what the Scripture says. It says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, Ephesians 5.11. Nor are we to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Clearly then, the peace that's spoken of here in the text is not one that would also encourage necessarily fellowship and communion. Okay? So it's about peace, living in peace, universally with all people. It doesn't mean that you need to be in fellowship with all people. Okay? That's how the text brings that out. The last point this morning. We're going to be putting some application to this. The applicability of the command. The applicability of the command. Romans 12, 18. If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. The application of living in peace with all people brings first the recognition that this is what we are called to do. This is our responsibility. As much as life in you, this is our responsibility. And if that's the case, then there's six short items that should naturally follow that is vital. These are six items that you need to be considering on how you can live peaceably with all people. Number one, first we need to forgive one another. First we need to forgive one another, beloved. We need to forgive one another. Even when we believe that the other person is to blame, we ought to forgive them. We ought to bury the damage. We ought to suffer the loss. And not suffer love to be broken and hatred to prevail. We need to not suffer love to be broken and therefore hatred to prevail. This is what the devil loves most and you will be pleasing him the most by far. We are to forgive one another. We are to forgive one another. Are there going to be lessons learnt in that relationship? Yeah, yeah, you're going to learn lessons in that relationship. In a business transaction or a business relationship, you'll be learning not to have business with that individual anymore if they've defrauded you for something. There's no need to stand there to continually be defrauded by the same individual, but you can certainly forgive the debt. Why? For the sake of peace. The Bible says to have peace with all men. It doesn't mean you need to transact with them anymore. That's part of a standard market force. The standard market has you buy a particular good and if the good works according to that which is advertised then you've purchased a good and you've exchanged the right amount of money for that good. Makes sense? But if the good itself is defective, you're not, no longer going to be purchasing that good. Matter of fact, you're going to be warning others against it. You've forgiven the loss. You've taken the hit. You've, you've, you've dished out the money. There's nothing much more you can do about it unless there's a warranty that's provided. But the point of the matter is you learn from those relationships. Okay, We need to forgive one another. <laughs> especially as Christians, because I can tell you right now, the devil wants nothing more than divide a church and divide people within the church. The first thing he does is separate members from the church. The second thing after that is criticism from that outside on the church and on the individuals within the church. These are the difficult things that happen within the Christian walk and we need to learn to forgive one another. All right. I've told you before I'm going to say stuff that's going to upset you and I need your forgiveness. Especially if you want me to forgive you when you say stuff that upsets me. (laughs) Number two, we are to bear one another's infirmities. And we all have them. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need to bear with one another. That means we need to suffer each other from time to time. Okay, sometimes we're not easy to get along with sometimes we're not comfortable to be around and we need to bear that we need to love one another irrespective of that we need to be patient we need to be long-suffering we need to be forgiving we need to be determined to take no offense we need to trust in the lord who has the rain fall upon the just and the unjust three we need to be willing to for. Go our private interests, like I mentioned before, a willingness to forego our our rights. A willingness to forgo our rights. All that you have has been given to you by the Lord. God suffers no man to have anything more or less than that which the Lord has given him. It's the reason we tithe our income. It's the reason we give to the Lord. We give back to him a small portion of that which he has blessed us with. Beloved, let me tell you with all sincerity, if you are not in the practice of giving of your increase to the Lord, then the matter of forsaking your own private interests is going to be one of the most impossible things for you. Does that make sense? If you're not already in the habit of giving to the Lord that which he has already blessed you with, then the idea of forsaking your own rights and private interests is going to be an even greater challenge for you. It was one of the greatest challenges that I had when I was growing as a Christian, and once i have given over to that, then it was a blessing after that. I don't suffer my rights to be a concern as much anymore. It was Job that I mentioned earlier, he said, "'Naked came I out of my mother's womb, "'and naked shall I return thither. "'The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. "'Blessed be the name of the Lord.'" So three, be willing to forsake your own private interests. Four, be willing to condescend to one another. In other words, be willing to accept a person where they are at, and not lift yourself up. Not lift yourself up over them, not exalt yourself over them. None of us are to stand in judgment of another person's standing in things. Philippians three, Philippians chapter two, sorry, three verses three and four. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. First Corinthians ten twenty four says, Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Turn your Bibles to Romans fourteen. Romans fourteen is a prime example of this of this doctrine. As you're turning there, I want you to think of something. One of the things that I see most often in, in, in Christians, or in any individual who is certainly not growing in the Lord, is their continual conversation, um, speaking negatively of other people, their work fellows, their work colleagues, people in church or this or that and the other, um, bagging them out basically. And I used to do this. I used to do this. I used to think by by putting somebody else down, I can lift myself up. By telling of all the shortcomings of another individual, whether they were real or not, um, would lift me up. What I didn't realise that I was doing is behind the scenes, it's actually creating animosity within me towards that individual. It's taking away peace between us. It's making me judge that person for something that I really don't have any right to do. This is usually something that is a key indicator in an individual who is certainly not growing in the Lord or very, very immature. Because what we're doing, we're exalting ourselves above others when the scripture says that we are to not seek our own, but every man another's wealth, to not look every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others, to not be done in vainglory, but... In loneliness of mind, to esteem other better than themselves. We do the exact opposite when we are immature children in the faith. Romans 14. This is a prime example of this doctrine. Verses 1 to 8. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. <laughs> Do you see the argument that Paul's making here? There's doubtful disputations among all people. Some people that I say that I shouldn't be eating You know, food that's been, you know, sacrificed in a way that it faced a particular direction. You know what I mean? Uh, To me, I don't see a problem with it. I'll eat it, you know, as long as it's good food. If it's good tucker, I'll eat it. I've got no dramas with that. You know? Yes, I still eat Vegemite. (laughs) You know? Apparently, that's also been... Anyway, so... We eat that which we choose to eat or we don't eat that which we choose not to eat. We're not here to be judging one another with respect to what we eat, what we don't eat, what we touch, what we don't touch, okay? We are to esteem others greater than ourselves. So four, be willing to condescend to one another. Be willing to accept another person where they're at. Five, give place to wrath. Give place to wrath. The next verse speaks to it, but vengeance belongs to the Lord. When a person rages against you, be mild and gentle toward them. Give place to wrath. Let the Lord deal with them. Let the Lord deal with them. If there's justifiable anger in that individual, the Lord will deal with you. If that person's anger is not justified, then let the Lord deal with it. Let the Lord put that to bed. You don't have to fight back. As a hot-headed Italian, I can tell you that I don't make any bones of the difficulty of it. I like to fight back, you know. Sometimes I'm itching for a fight, you know, with someone, a verbal joust or something that I can actually really sink my teeth in. For those things, I jump on Cora. (laughs) (laughs) Just to to have... But I shouldn't be doing that because my name's there. Anyway, we need to be gentle as doves, beloved. We need to be gentle as doves. We need to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. So five, give place to wrath. Let the Lord deal with it. You don't have to respond in kind. Don't fight fire with fire. If your desire is to pursue peace, and that is your command. Six, and last, be transparent always. Be transparent always. If we are to live peaceably with all men, Do not conceal yourself through a veneer. Be plain, be free, be open one to another. Now I can tell you, leave this last and I'm not expecting this to be the easiest. It seems simple, doesn't it? Be transparent, be willing to open yourself up to people. Yet it is one of the most difficult things that faces those who have been hurt in love before. People who have experienced pain through relationships, and today we're living in a world where people are having multiple relationships, Um, people who have experienced pain through relationships are often and almost always the last ones willing to open themselves up to being hurt again. They build a wall in front of them. They'll say to them, like the Lord says to the ocean waves, this far you shall come, but no further. You know, I don't want you to get too close, because if you get too close, I'm going to run the risk of being terribly hurt. The beloved, love can't climb walls. Love can't climb walls. There has to be a continual willingness to be open and to be vulnerable. This is a heart that isn't protected by a cage of ribs, not when it comes to love. When it comes to love, it has to be out there in the open. You have to be willing to give yourself all to people, to let them see you for who you are, for where you're at, for the pain that you're going through, and not to have a veneer in front of you all the time, a facade. That doesn't mean you need to be talking to people, every single person that you meet with, with your problems and stuff. like well, that'd be wise. Be wise with respect to that because, you know, we're not also to be silly with respect to ourselves, you know. But when it comes to especially personal relationships, you need to wear your heart on your sleeve, you know. You need to wear your heart on your sleeve. I remember a lady who once spoke to my pastor about me and and he didn't know me very well and he says, so what's it he like anyway? You've known him for a lot of years. And she goes, yeah, well, what you see is what you get. What you see is what you get. And I didn't think of it that, you know, I don't know, you know, was it a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> you know, but what you see is what you get. And, and I haven't got time to put on a veneer, nor should you. If you start putting on a veneer for one person, what you're doing is lying. You know, you, you, you're portraying a, a picture of yourself that's not actually true. So if your desire is to live and to live it peaceably with all men, we are to need to be transparent Always. So those six things are worth giving consideration to. Bear one another's infirmities. Bear one another's burdens. and Be willing to forgo your own private interests. Um, forgive one another. Be willing to condescend one to another. Give place to wrath and be transparent always. Yet all this avails nothing if you are yet to have peace with God. If you are yet to have peace with God, then everything that's just been spoken about is just going to wash over. It's not going to be something that you can apply. And you can't apply it because you haven't experienced the wonderful peace that comes with knowing the Lord. You can't apply it because only the peace that comes from God can be something that you can actually extend to somebody else. Only the love that comes from God, that infinite love, that infinite reservoir of love that comes from God can you love your enemies with. You can't love your enemies unless you've experienced the love of God. Because everything that you know of is temporary. So the first place to have peace is to have peace with God. God took upon himself as much as life in him to live peaceably with all men. Jesus put himself upon the cross to be sin crucified. He became sin for us that we might receive the righteousness of Christ. All who believe the gospel have the peace of God within their own hearts. So it's simple. Admit that you're a sinner before God. Believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and call upon the name of Christ. Call upon him to save you. The wonderful truth of the salvation of the gospel is a blessing in the scriptures. And that is what will give you peace to live with all, all people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks to your Lord. We thank you, Father, for... This time, this time that we come together before you, this time to consider the word of the living God. And I pray, dear Lord, that in each of us, Father, there will be a desire for peace, to live in peace with all people. Strengthen us, dear Father, in the knowledge of your word. And if there be any, dear Lord, who don't know Christ, if there be any, dear Lord, who are not saved, who have yet experienced the wonderful peace that comes from the knowledge of God, I pray, dear Lord, that you would prick their hearts and that you would stir them up that they may know you. I give you thanks and praise for this time in your blessed and most holy name. Amen.